the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 588 for Tuesday, January 19th, 2016. Good readings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show that has been described as car talk for Apple geeks, except a little more polite. That's right, folks. Come here each week. We attempt to answer your questions. We share your tips. We share your cool stuff found. The goal, of course, is for all of us to learn something new each and every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Barebones Software at barebones.com. They make a BB Edit, which we will talk about shortly here in the show, as well as Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com. Just released their four terabyte Aura SSD upgrade. That's 16 times the storage of what might have come with your new Mac Pro. That's pretty crazy. We'll talk about that and some other things that Otherworld Computing has for you shortly here. And here, back here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And still here in chilly, windy, we're going to get a big storm soon. Fearful Connecticut. This is John F. Ron. Yeah, it was. Uh, it it was quite a a revolting uh, shift in the weather for me to come home to uh, you know nineteen degrees and 40, 40 knot gusts or whatever. <laughs> but uh, from being on the beach in Mexico, where you know when it got down below seventy, I put a jacket on, but that was okay. It was uh, it was a great weekend. We had Lisa and I had a had a lot of fun. Actually, learned some travel tips too that uh, that we'll talk about shortly here as well. Yeah, nice. So you're uh, so it didn't uh, impact your uh, your flight. No, thankfully our flights were totally fine. I mean, it, coming into Boston, uh, we we connected. We flew to Cancun and then and then the the resort where the concerts were and all that was about an hour south of that. But uh, we connected through Miami each each way, and uh, the flight from Miami to Boston was right on time. In fact, we were a little bit early. It was sort of crazy coming in because we had, you know, 40 knot winds gusting. But, uh, but you know, pilots did a fine job and set us down. No problem. So it's all good. All good. You know what? While we're on the subject, let's just talk about this stuff that, uh, that I learned while I was in Mexico, John. Or uh, it, 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 the, the geeky stuff that I learned while I was in Mexico. Um, as we were coming in for a landing and, and I, I've never, so interestingly enough, I have, uh, left the country on foot. I have left the country by ship and I have left the country by car before, but this weekend marked the first time that I left the country by air. Uh, and of course the first time that I came back into the country by air. So, uh, I had never experienced that whole process of, of an international flight before. And as you're getting ready to land, either, you know, leaving uh, or coming back, you know, when you're changing countries on an airplane, they play a little video for you on the plane and tell you what you're, what you're about to go through this customs process and all that. And of course, going to Mexico and coming to the U S is similar, but it's not exactly the same as we were coming back in. Uh, 
they played a little video and told us about this mobile passport app, which is an iPhone app that you can get. It's also an Android app that you can get that uh, we'll put a link in the show notes for it, of course. But uh, it's a free app that's, you know, uh, blessed by the, the government, the U.S. government. And you put in your passport details into the app and and you can put in all the details for all of your family members just into your phone. If you you know, if you want to do it that way, in fact, that's how you should do it. And then you go through and answer the questions that you're going to have to an- that you would normally have to answer once you've landed. Uh, there's like four questions. Are you bringing more than ten thousand dollars in cash? Did you visit a farm? You know, those sorts of things. And uh, and then you say, OK, and assuming it all goes well, you get a receipt in the app that you can just go straight to the the checkout uh, uh, officer. Typically, what you would do is go and and do this at a kiosk there and then go to the checkout officer with the receipt that the kiosk gives you. But uh, but this lets you skip that kiosk. Of course, I didn't get to do that. I don't know what was wrong. I went to the it wouldn't let me do it in the app. I tried like four times and then I went to the kiosk and I got I did get a receipt, but it was with an X on it, which meant I had to go to a different line that actually worked out much better because the line for people that like were totally approved and didn't get the X was maybe 400 people long. And the line for uh, those of us with an X was like, you know, four people long. So we actually got the X and got out of there faster, uh, which worked out great. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, uh, this app is pretty cool. It, it's interesting to see that we're, you know, moving along with technology. So I was, I was stoked right. about that. Yeah. So you use your passport because as you probably know, um, there is now this this uh, real ID uh, uh, gig with uh, with driver's licenses. So you Some, use your passport for your yeah. I use passport for international travel. Okay, because I I did the extra legwork to get a, a special. Uh, so you have to bring additional documents when mm-hmm. you get your driver's license, and and there's a little gold star which says I'm a good person on my driver's license. So in theory, I can use my my U.S. driver's license uh, for. You know, certain uh, travel, and and there's a you know big hubbub because you know some states have not done yeah, that. But I don't think we do that here in New Hampshire. Yeah, I mean everybody's supposed to at some point, or they, if you want to use your driver's license to travel. That's what I mean. I don't think we do it here, and I don't think it, New Hampshire residents can get that on their driver's license. Okay, but I have a passport too. But um, yeah. yeah, so your travels were good. And uh, yeah, I saw some pictures, uh, you know, it looks like a uh, fish rocked as, uh, as always. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, it was a great place. We were at a resort card uh, called Barcelo Maya, uh, which is kind of, like I said, about an hour south of Cancun uh, along the, the area that they call Riviera Maya. And uh, they've got a stage right there at the at the resort. And it worked out great. It was really, really quite something. Uh, very, very well done. And I would, I would consider doing a, you know, all inclusive resort vacation with the, uh, with the family after having experienced this, it was kind you know, it's similar to a cruise ship, which, which, you know, we've done, but, uh, a lot more space than a cruise ship because, you know, they don't have to float the resort. They just leave it right there on the beach where, uh, where they found it or where they created it. But while I was there, John, uh, the resort charged, it was all inclusive except Wi-Fi. Which is sort of ironic. Of course. Of course. <laughs> uh, I did not buy Wi-Fi. I, um, I took advantage of AT&T's Mexico roaming bonus, 
where it with the right family share plan and it's mo- or mobile share plan, I guess I should call it. Uh, every member of the plan gets free texting in and out of Mexico, free calling in and out of Mexico and one gig of data per month uh, when you're traveling in Mexico. And so I just made sure that this was active on our accounts before I left. And uh, and there's no additional charge. It's just part of the deal. And as long as we didn't use more than a gig this weekend, and we didn't, I don't think either one of us used more than, you know, maybe 400 megs, um, which I don't even think we hit that. I think it was, we each hit about 350. And it worked out great. Uh, service was fine. It wasn't stellar, but it was fine. It was enough to to not need to get Wi-Fi. But um, Verizon has has a similar thing, although it's it's a little different. Called They call it Travel Pass. We'll put links to both of these in the show notes. Verizon, you get to use your existing plans, data, and calling features, whatever those are, in other countries, but you pay per day. Now, in Mexico, it's relatively cheap. It's two bucks a day. Uh, in other countries, it, it can be as much as 10 bucks a day or maybe even more. So that gets a little, uh, you know, that, that can be expensive depending on your trip. I mean, for a four day trip, like, like Lisa and I just did, uh, that would have been totally worth it. Cause you know, we would have paid less than 10 bucks each. Um, but you know, uh, for a two week trip, maybe not so much. So, but I'll put, we'll put links to those two things in the show notes and, uh, you know, so you use your existing plan because I know a lot of people, but maybe not because, you know, I consider Mexico and Canada, you know, neighbors. So, so uh, you know, for companies, AT&T and Verizon that do business in the U.S., as far as I know, they, they offer, you know, pretty nice plans. Yeah. Um, I remember it was a kind of a <laughs> circus when I traveled last Then I went to France and tried to use my existing line. It involved getting a loaner phone and doing forwarding, and it was, it was a nightmare. Yeah, and I'm going to have to deal with that as I mentioned this summer when we go to uh, to Europe. We'll we'll have to get separate SIMs. Doing it with AT and T will would would be cost prohibitive. Um, but you know, okay, it's fine. We'll, and I think we've asked them, you know, uh, uh, for any any of our listeners, any tips uh, that you'd like us to share with people as far as international uh, data plans. Um, let us know who you like. Yeah, we've gotten some that I've been collecting. So those of you that have sent them in, thank you. Uh, we'll we'll talk more about it as that trip gets closer to. Uh, but but yeah, send them in because not only is it something we want to share with the listeners, it's um it's very selfishly something I want to use myself. So speaking of something that I wanted, John, nine characters have been the bane of my travel existence. Nine characters, John. Do you know what those nine characters are? No. L O G A N W I F I. I have tried. I've talked about it on this show. I've ranted about it on this show. Every time I'm at Logan Airport and I have to make sure my language does not get salty here. Oh, oh yes, your your phone does what it the, your your uh, Mac devices do what they believe is the right thing to do. My Apple devices, which includes yes. my phone. Yeah, it joins the Frickin' Logan Wi-Fi network. I have removed this from my devices a dozen times at least. That's more than the number of characters that are the bane of my existence, you see. I've removed it. 
And yet every single time I walk into that airport, my phone stops working. Why? Because it joins the Wi-Fi and I haven't yet gone through the I want to, you know, watch the video to get free Wi-Fi in the airport option. It's a disaster. So this time, though, John, I was prepared because I used something we found at CES called Speedify. Now, what Speedify does is something very interesting, but they they solve this problem. They may I'll explain how it works. But first, I'm just going to tell you what the solution is. They make sure that you're using a connection that actually has access to the Internet. So if you've got LTE and Wi-Fi connected simultaneously, which is what happens in these scenarios, your phone is going to default to the Wi-Fi connection. However, Speedify makes sure that before you start using that Wi-Fi connection, that it actually has a connection. And the way they do this is clever. They run a VPN. And so they create this tunnel back to their servers. And when you're on a VPN connection, the app actually has the ability to decide where to route the data, either over Wi-Fi or over, uh, you know, your, your LTE or your 4G or whatever the connection is. And so Speedify, because it's a VPN and it can see things from both ends simultaneously, it knows which one works. And so it doesn't let you send stuff over the Wi-Fi connection until it is confirmed that they have a two-way path to your phone via the Wi-Fi connection. And then at that point, you can actually set things so that it uh, bonds the two together and gets maximum speed out of it. Or you can set it to prioritize Wi-Fi and only use the cellular connection if, uh, you know, if Wi-Fi is unavailable, that sort of thing. And it works brilliantly. And I believe, I believe you can get a, uh, uh, you get a, I think it's a free gig, but there, there is a, a free yes. gig per month. You, you know, there, there is a free plan and then you can, you can pay for a, additional, um, uh, uh, you know, bandwidth, but man, it makes such a difference when traveling and just, I mean, it keeps you from like, you know, if you're a Comcast customer and suddenly you, you find yourself without service because you're connected to a, a dead Xfinity Wi-Fi thing or whatever it is, this solves that problem. My only issue with the Speedify app is that it would it would die in the background on me more frequently than I wanted. And so I had to kind of keep relaunching it. But uh, but it did solve this problem. So I liked Sweet. it. Yeah. OK. And and I actually did a little write up when I was at CES with, with you and, and mm-hmm. the gang. Um, about them. And actually, um, one of their, uh, I believe their principals, Alex, actually responded to, uh, in the comments, to oh, some sweet. of the concerns people had as far as privacy and, um, and some other things. Oh, good. Um, so thank you, Speedify, and thank you, Alex. So uh, I put that in the chat room, and we'll certainly put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, a, it's an innovative solution. That's the I, right I, word. I, I, well, I thought the speed thing, and, and you know, we, we had a discussion among the staff. I was like, well, the speed thing is kind of cool. But then you were like, being you, and you were like, well, no, I mean, really the cooler thing, and they're both cool, but the cooler thing is the reliability aspect. That's and, it. And, you know, yeah. you opened my eyes to that in that, you know, bonding connections and getting double speed or whatever, you know, a combination of the speed is certainly cool. But um, reliability because, you know, I still have this, Dave, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, some places I go in town, 
my Verizon, it'll say 3G and it's lying. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah, I don't get a connection or even sometimes Wi-Fi. Optimum, I love Optimum. Yeah. I get free Wi-Fi uh, throughout town. But a lot of times I'll see the icon. It'll connect um, sometimes with it. Well, no, I want it to connect, but sometimes I get nothing. Yeah, yeah. So it's having just a, a dead having pipe. A, yeah. Having an app that can, you know, make sure that the connection is not only there, but actually doing something useful. Yeah. <laughs> this is a big plus. So thank you, Speedify guys. Yeah. No, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. So that that worked well in, in that uh, in that scenario. So they have because I remember running the app. So they have access points in Mexico, I guess, or international. Oh, you can. Well, I mean, I. I, I didn't care where I just told it connect to the closest server. I mean, I was in Boston right. when this thing solved my problems, but yeah, they've got stuff all over the, all over the world. So if you, if you want to, it, it's also a VPN, right? So you can, right. you can use like, you know, like, um, I mean, just like you would with tunnel bear or anything else you can choose, you know, yeah, I want my endpoint to be here or there, but, uh, but unlike tunnel bear, they're doing this kind of quality, not quality of service at, existence of service testing it's even better than quality of service right you know so yeah nice. it's good well thank you for testing that for sure yeah no it was great um the other thing i used which i've used before so i'll keep this part brief is the sadio obex cases man they are the best waterproof iphone cases i've ever used and when i say the best what i mean is i don't i mean i sometimes i'll put my phone in the water right and it's no big deal and of course, with a 6S, probably doesn't matter anyway. I think these things have been proven to be pretty much waterproof regardless. But um, I don't feel comfortable just putting my phone in the water uh, naked. So I, because uh, Apple hasn't said they're waterproof, but uh, I think pretty much they are. Uh, but this Sadio case, the best part, the reason I feel like it's the best is I can put this thing on my phone in about, 10 seconds with no tools. And that's a big deal because I don't like a waterproof case on my phone all the time. But when I'm going to go out and be, you know, in the sand at the beach, especially, you know, it's less about the water than it is the sand at that point. But if I'm just going to be by the pool, sometimes it's cool to have my phone to be able to take pictures or whatever I want to do. And I can pop this case on like just as an almost an afterthought as I'm walking out of the hotel room door. And that is what I love about these Sadio cases. And they do the, what the seals are great on them. Uh, you know, they make them for the different sized iPhones and everything and get whatever you want. But, uh, but absolutely my favorite waterproof case, just because it's, it works and it's so easy and it works with a glass shield on my phone. Even they don't certify it that way. Uh, they, they say it won't fit on there, but every glass shield I've tried on my phone works fine underneath one of these cases. So, so that's that. And then lastly, John, um, the day you have to learn the Spanish word embolo, uh, well, mm. the day was good. The moment that you have to learn the Spanish word embolo, well, it's, it's kind of like the, the moment that you have to learn about uh, a, the networking spanning tree protocol. It's not a fun moment. Uh, because typically you only learn these things when you have a problem. Embolo, uh, for those of you that don't speak that part of the uh, Spanish language, is the word for plunger. But uh, I was talking with housekeeping the second morning that we were there, or the first morning that we were there, because our toilet was backed up 
And uh, I, all I needed was a plunger. It was obvious that it was, you know, it was like not terribly backed up, but it was running very, very slow. And uh, and I speak, you know, barely conversational Spanish. Uh, thankfully, my son and daughter are taking it in school. And so we actually lately wound up speaking a lot of Spanish at home. But we typically don't talk about plungers around the house. Uh, so I just didn't know the word. Why, and so, why not? Yeah, well, <laughs> we will now. But, you know, so I was standing there with housekeeping. Of course, most people at the resort just spoke English fluently. Um, but, uh, but you know, this, the, these two particular members of the housekeeping staff did not. And so I'm having this conversation with them. I'm like, I, I just need to know the word for plunger. I'm like, wait a minute. So I pulled up Google Translate, typed in plunger. It showed me Embolo. I said Embolo. They made the plunger, you know, motion with their hands. I'm like, see? And everything was good to go. Uh, it was all good. But what I realized was that it, that was great. And thank goodness I had the data and everything we just talked about. But I need an app that will let me do that whether or not I have a data connection. So I'm, I, I haven't looked yet. Uh, but I am soliciting suggestions from those of you that travel uh, more globally than than I, because I would love to know about and share uh, an app that would that would help folks. So that's our uh, I guess it's not probably the hugest geek challenge in the world, but it's our geek challenge for this week. There you go. No, that's good. Now, did you try? Uh, so two things. So number one, I was trying to look this up and actually. I think Embolo. With an accent on the E, so I actually used Google Translate. Yeah. And I, I typed in plunger, and it came back with E-M-B-O-L-O, -O, yeah. with an accent on the E, because I typed it in wrong uh, the sure. other way around. Sure. So that's kind of cool. But did you use, um, so one thing that, that has become free, and I believe Google acquired them, is WordLens. I don't know if you had a chance yeah, or, or I've used, tried to use that. I've used WordLens. That's only good for reading signs and stuff, but very, very helpful right, for right. that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's like magic when you you if you folks haven't used it, you uh, frame a sign in the in the app using the camera of your phone and the words <laughs> on the screen change <laughs> language. It's bizarre. Yeah. The only reason I mention that is that as far as I know, their database is local is that I do not believe they require a data connection to do what they do is that whatever they're doing. Oh, and no, it, I think just they blows. I think really? they do require. Okay. I thought they did, but I could be wrong. I didn't. I mean, I don't remember the app being this monstrosity. So I would assume that it's using a data connection, but I thought it was fairly large. So maybe, maybe it, it does. Maybe it doesn't. Yeah. But, um, but for those of you that travel internationally and want to know what those signs are telling you to do or not to do word lens is amazing. Yeah. And it looks like I might have used the wrong uh, word. In fact, I don't think Embolo as I'm, as I'm digging deeper into the Spanish dictionaries while we're talking here, I think the correct term that that's like a syringe, the Embolo, the plunger on a, on a, on like a syringe. The thing that I wanted was El, uh, Scador. but, uh, but anyway, we, I see that as well. Yeah. Yes. We, we, we bridged the language gap and we got the problem solved, which was obviously task number one. So, I remember the last Mexico travel. Well, I remember. Well, we all knew what cucaracha meant. That's right. <laughs> but did you know what did chupacabra we, was? Uh, that is a, uh, a mythical beast that uh, 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 tears people apart. Stuff like that, right? It is. And that, that's one of my favorite parts about fish is, is they are um, they're very silly. And oh, they're chupacabra savvy? Oh, 
Oh, dude, we got a map of the concert grounds, you know, in our like little thing <laughs> that, that they sent. And they're showing like, OK, here's vending. Here's food. Here's, you know, drinks. Um, here's and then in the woods, here's Chupacabra. Then also in the woods was here's the Dharma hatch. So this is good stuff. You know, they're, uh, they're wow. They're hip. Yeah. Now, as a reminder, Dave, uh, I, I believe we are both fans of the X-Files. And, yes. Uh, they did have a, a Chupacabra episode. All I got to say is uh, one of my, uh, uh, someone in my Twitter feed mentioned, um, if you guys got a TiVo or a DVR, get ready because the uh, X-Files uh, re-roll um, with the amazingly seeming to not age David Duchovny and... Uh, yeah, it's true. I, I look at them and I'm like, oh my gosh, ha- have they aged at all? Now, Duchovny and, uh, was Gillian in that... Anderson. In that Aquarius show uh he had the lead role in that just recently like like early last year and he looked the same yeah it's like he he took whatever whatever clark took i think so yeah yeah but um but apparently within the next couple of weeks if you guys are in x files they're going to be doing a a, a limited episode re-roll yeah same yeah i know yeah okay so totally off topic. That's all right. Well, we got but a little off stuff. topic anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm curious about a translation app. If uh, if anybody's got uh, suggestions, we'll obviously share them in the show. And and yes, I'm asking selfishly for our our family Europe trip. Uh, I'll call it our family European vacation because you know that uh, the the European vacation quotes will come out while uh, while we're there. Uh, let's do. Where are we here? You know what. Uh, John, I want to talk about our sponsors and then I want to do our quick tips. How's that sound to you? Outstanding. All right. Our first sponsor today is Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com. You know, there's a lot of times in this show where I say my favorite X or I couldn't live without Y. And Otherworld Computing in terms of hardware has a lot of things on that list for me. And that's been true since long before they were a sponsor. Their Thunderbolt 2 dock, killer. I mean, it it just, you know, it's got five full power USB 3 ports, a Firewire 800 port, two Thunderbolt 2 ports, so it can connect one to your Mac and one the other way, to the next device in the chain, whatever that is. It's got an HDMI port on it, gigabit Ethernet, I just can't imagine not having something like this on my machine. And OWC makes my favorite one. They've also got their new Aura 4 terabyte SSD now for the new Mac Pro. I don't have a new Mac Pro, so it doesn't fall on that list for me. But, you know, this is up to 16 times the size of the SSD that you got when you when you bought your Mac Pro. If I need an external drive case, Otherworld Computing is where I go. If I need RAM, they're the first place I look. These folks test everything there. They really, really know what they're doing. They manage the whole process. When something goes wrong, they bring it back in-house and they look at it here. They make sure that the stuff they're sending you not only is good, high-quality stuff, but that they know everything there is to know about it so that when you call them, they have the answers for you. In fact, you can call them before you buy stuff They have the answers then, too. They can tell you the right thing to buy. They've got awesome videos to show you how to install things like hard drives in an iMac, that kind of stuff. 
They really know what they're doing. They are dedicated to service. They are dedicated to high quality stuff. They really know what they're doing there. You got to check it out. Go to Otherworld Computing at MacSales.com. Browse around a little bit. Need a new hard drive? Check it out. Need some RAM? Check it out. Need a Thunderbolt dock? Because you do. Go check it out. They're going to have the right thing for you at a shockingly fair price. They really are the right place to start when you're looking for new stuff. Check it out. Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com are thanks to Otherworld Computing for sponsoring this episode. Talk about something we can't live without here at Mac Geek Gab and TMO Towers East and it's BB Edit from Barebones Software at Barebones.com. We use BB Edit for every show that we do. Let me see if off the top of my head I can count the ways. We use it to build the file that we upload with the chapter markers in it. So it has the timestamps and everything. We use it to edit the show notes. John lovingly handcrafts the show notes using BB Edit, adding timestamps there as well. I use it to format the text of your emails when they come in. If things are a little wonky, BB Edit's great for that because everything that BB Edit does is text. It doesn't have any crazy formatting. It doesn't leave any lingering weird stuff behind. It just deals with text. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't format things on the screen in BB Edit to do what you want. We've talked about how programmers can use that. And when it senses what programming language you're in, it automatically starts kind of highlighting things. But those all just happen on the screen for your visual benefit. They don't affect the file. And that's what we love here about BB Edit. It's just text. So it makes it really compatible, really easy. When I'm dealing with like email and stuff, sometimes they come in with formatting. I just paste it into BB Edit. And I know BB Edit's just going to ignore all that formatting, which means what I get out of it is the file that I want. And that's not even talking about all the geeky stuff that you can do with it. But I'm just talking about everyday stuff that doesn't even involve programming. You want to count the words in a file? BB Edit's where you go. That's where I go. I can count the number of lines, all kinds of stuff. You got to check this out. Go ahead and download a free trial. Go to barebones.com, download a free trial. When you're ready to buy, it's 50 bucks. Barebones.com, our thanks to Barebones Software for sponsoring this episode. John, while we were at CES, uh, I learned a lot of things, in fact. But there's two things that I wanted to talk about here. Uh, Number one is really, really quick. We talked about the TiVo Bolt, the episode before I left for CES, the episode before we both left. And I mentioned that I wasn't sure what was going on over there at TiVo because the Bolt is newer, but the Romeo has models that are in most ways more powerful than the Bolt, or in some ways more powerful than the Bolt. So I, yeah, so I, I asked TiVo, you know, about this and they said, ah, yeah, we get it. We understand why you're confused. The Romeo is the, there will, they did, I'm going to, I'm going to translate this and I might get one part of it wrong. They basically said the bolt is the future of TiVo, right? Just like we went from, you know, whatever the HD or the series three to the HD to the premiere to the Romeo. Now we're on the bolt. I would assume that means there's no more Romeo branded or Romeo named products coming and anything newer would be the bolt. They did assure me that the Romeo will be supported for, for many, many years to come. 
uh, with software updates and, and that sort of thing, just like TiVo had, has done with the premiere and everything before it. So that's the, that's the difference there is, is the bolts, the new thing we've seen the first iteration of the bolt. That's what we talked about, but they're they're you know, eventually they didn't have any dates or timings or even features or anything. There will eventually be more bolts coming. So there you go. I just wanted to share that. It's all good. Dave, I'm going to share a little something Go so in pre-show, but I'm going to mention it now. So as you know, so I finally broke down. Now, some of you may know that I like to hold on to my toys for an extended period. Um, but I bought myself a new TV because it was about time. Now, my justification was my old TV, which is a Samsung uh, Ancient. I bought it, oh gosh, so long ago. Um, and it was 1700 bucks, which at the time wasn't bad for a, uh, a, a TV of that class. And it was 720p. Sure. Uh, but um, so I finally got a new one. I got an LG. And the thing was, I just want to point this out is. So when I went to the TV, I'm like, OK, well, you know, my old setup was 720. Now I want the 1080p and, and the TV is the new TV is 1080p. I'm like, when I hit the info button, it would show. I wasn't getting that. I'm like, what's up with that? Well, just a, a friendly reminder to people is you may have to go to your devices. And I did have to do this on both, Dave, the ancient Series 3 that I have and my DVD or, or my Blu-ray player. Yes. I had them fixed to the lower resolution because that's what made sense at the time. So I, I actually went on the TiVo and said, oh, by the way, can you switch from hybrid so they had this kind of hybrid kind of smart mode which worked great on the old tv but not the new one and i basically said forget that go native in the in that just do the best you can and the same with my blu-ray player it, it was like i was seeing 720 and i'm like what well, what's up with that and then finally i went to my blu-ray player and found out that i had actually fixed it <laughs> to do the older resolution because that's what made sense for the older tv so huh. just a tip for people when you're upgrading your tv and it, and it says it's getting input that isn't optimal, go to your devices. You may have, uh, or either they have configured themselves or you may have configured them, which was the case in my case. Um, and I'm getting the best picture possible. Useful. So I, I don't want to get too deep into this, but I didn't think if you had a TV that was less than 50 inches, I didn't think 1080p made any difference at all. Like, I mean, obviously the TV can take a 1080p input and that alone is helpful, but visually I didn't think there were enough pixels in to, to see that uh, if you were less than 50 inches, I thought 720p was all that mattered um, at that point. But I believe technically you're correct. Okay. But I'm going to use confirmation bias to say that of course. what I'm seeing is better. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got a TV that's, you know, 10 years newer. I I would assume uh, that it looks better. It should. And that and, and for 300 bucks, why not? You know, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, there there are differences. So the thing is, there are differences. If your device can do P versus I and then we'll move on. But but so right. there's two things you can do. So there's interlaced and progressive. Um, I think most people agree that if you can do progressive versus interlaced and you, you'll see it in the definition you should do progressive because it's better so when i could i i force things to do that oh absolutely yeah 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 but i don't think any tv is broadcast at 1080p i believe 
every network's HD is 10. I might be wrong on this, but I no, you're right. Every, no, every network TiVo says 10, 1080i, except yeah. Fox, which is 720p. If I'm yeah. correct. And even my ancient TiVo shows that. So, yeah. Okay. So, so for the, the HD channels that I get via my cable provider, yeah. they will show 1080i. Right. That's right. Um, yeah. So, um, but it's something there you got to go. fiddle with. Yeah. All right. I got another thing, John, uh, that I learned about. I was talking to the folks at D-Link uh, because, as I mentioned, you know, this was the CES of routers for me. And I looked at one of the things they showed me. They had a, you know, it was one of these off the show floor pavilions where they had all kinds of stuff set up uh, to show press and other people they wanted to impress. And they, it was great. It was actually quite impressive. Uh one of the things they showed me was their unified home Wi-Fi networking kit, which is a router and an access point that is used. And the idea is, you know, to give yourself more coverage and they're doing wireless sharing of the connection. Uh, but they're doing it in a way that works well. And actually a lot of router manufacturers, this is the year where that starts to become possible because you've got routers with, three bands of service. And so they can dedicate one to, uh, to being able to do all this. And that that's not unique to D link that, that lots of router manufacturers. In fact, all of them, I believe are doing that in, in a good way. But one thing that D link was doing, I asked him, I said, cause they said, Oh yeah, as it roams and you could see it on the screen, they had this great little web interface. That's part of the router. And if you get this, you'd see it too. Uh, that showed when they, they sent a guy on a, a Skype call and made him walk down the hall while I stood there with uh, somebody else. And, and we had the Skype call with him and you, we could see when he hopped uh, from one router to the, to its access point, but the Skype call was uninterrupted. It was fine there. We just saw it happen and the web interface. And I said, okay, so how are you doing that? They're like, well, the router decides, um, you know, whether the, uh, which one they should be on. And I, and, and they said, but it, what it's doing is not only is it looking at signal strength, but it's also looking at congestion. So even if it might have a stronger signal to say the 2.4 gigahertz radio, if the router decides that that 2.4 gigahertz radio is congested, and even though you've got a better signal here, you'll get better throughput by jumping, say, to the 5 gigahertz radio, it's going to go ahead and do that. I'm like, oh, that's magic. How are you doing it? Are you you know, on the fly blocking Mac addresses. And they're like, well, on some of our products, yes. But on this unified home Wi-Fi network kit, we're using three uh, parts of the, the 802.11 standard. And it's 802.11K, 802.11V, and 802.11R. And they said, and the iPhone supports this too. And what it is, is these three together allow both the client device and the router or the, you know, the, the access point to work together to decide how these things, you know, how the connection should work. So 802.11K uh, allows the access point to tell the client to go to a different radio because the current one is congested. Um, 802.11V allows information to be exchanged to make the client itself network aware, like telling the client about the topology of the network, the signal strength, all of that. And then 802.11R is built to hand off from one device to the other 
with or from one access point to the other without having to renegotiate security every time. Obviously, this can only be done if, if you're on a, you know, a network that that works together. But that's the point so that, you know, if you're on like, say, a Wi-Fi call, right, because you're using Wi-Fi calling, if you start jumping around and I notice this at my house, even I'll lose the call or I'll get a gap in the call. And it's because security needs to be renegotiated, even though it's the same SSID and all of that. Well, with 802.11 R, the handoff happens without renegotiating the, the full security thing. So these are and these features have existed for a while. Uh, the iPhone has supported them for a while. Apple even has a tech note about it, which, of course, we'll put in the show notes. But um, the amazing thing is now. There's at least one consumer targeted router that supports all this stuff. There's really enterprise features, but we need them in our homes. And it was fascinating to learn about this stuff. And I'm hoping more routers and more manufacturers come out with features like this uh, and use this stuff because our devices will support it. And we need it with all the stuff that we're putting in our homes. So I wanted to just kind of pave the way there we'll put uh, we'll put links to all this stuff in the show notes especially apple's tech note because that's where it gets interesting nice yeah yeah i was really blown away by uh i had no idea that these things even existed you know um and that's part of why we go to ces is to you know because i get to i mean i get to meet with you know the the people that are designing this stuff which is uh which is much better not that there's anything wrong with the the PR reps and the, you know, the marketing folks, but it's better when you've got the engineer right there. So that, and that's, that's where this stuff came out. So it's fun, fun. Had you ever heard of this stuff before, John? Uh, no, I have not perused though. I'm sure if I looked on ISO or sure. whatever site, you could find a plethora of 802.11 letter. Yes. <laughs> Standards. Uh, I had never, uh, no, honestly, I'd never heard of K or V or R, but, um, but it makes sense that they have these, uh, provisions and, and it's good to see that, you know, the vendors are actually adhering to the standards. Well, and, and yeah. using them for things that, that us mere mortals get to play with. That's, you know, that's the exciting part for me. Right. Yeah. I mean, like in the last show, I, I, I was thrilled that I, you know, stopped by TP link and they're like, yeah, we got an 802.11 AD. And I'm like, That's wait, right. what, you meant AC, right? And they're like, no, AD. And yeah. I had not at that point have heard of it, but it's the next iteration. It's the, it's the next big thing. Yeah. For, uh, as far as I can tell for, for wireless connectivity, as far as speed and, and, and all that great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff. I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, we're router geeks here. So I, I just had to share. So now, Though now that we're 42, almost 43 minutes into this show, <laughs> maybe it's time to get to some quick tips. What do you think, John? Nah. <laughs> okay. All right. Go. We'll see if we can get to uh, some questions too, but we'll start with the quick tips. Uh, Chris writes and says, uh, on one of your recent episodes, it, you reminded us that command tab can be used to switch through applications with Q to quit, etc." And that's a standard thing, and I think many people are comfortable using it. However, I stumbled upon an additional one a while ago and use it regularly. Switching between windows within the same application can be achieved with command and the backwards quote uh, or backwards single quote. And that's typically 
right above the tab on a keyboard. So if you're in, ah, right. if you're in one app and you want to switch between the windows of that app, uh, command and, uh, and back quote, I guess that's what that, I know there's a better name for it, but, uh, but it's the, it's, it's the key above tab. Uh, so thank you very much, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, let's see if I can find Kurt here. I will get us there. How come I can't find Kurt? What did I do? Um, uh, Kurt, where are we? There it is. Oh, because it was from last week. Uh, Kurt says, my quick tip is that you can move around a background window by clicking and dragging its title bar while holding down the command key. Handy for rearranging windows on your desktop without losing focus on another program. And sure enough, Kurt's right. Uh, I don't know that I ever even knew this. Uh, but yeah, if you've got like, like Kurt says, if you, if you're inside an app, but you want to move a finder window around without pulling that window forward, just hold down the command key and you can drag it around without, uh, without having to rearrange the layering that, uh, that exists. So thank you very, very much, Kurt. It's good stuff. It's handy, John. That's why I love these things. Don't you? Indeed. All right. Moving on to Brett. Brett uh, says something cool. I found my mother was having issues with her Mac up in New Hampshire. And since I'm here in Western mass, it's kind of hard to troubleshoot remotely. So I was going to use Skype and it's desktop sharing and control options to help her troubleshoot from here. To my knowledge, Skype doesn't have easy desktop control, but they do have sharing. And I could be wrong about the control, but I didn't think so. However, he says, since I was using messages to text her, I remembered from several versions ago with iChat that you could use an AIM account, AOL Instant Messenger account, to do something similar. So for the heck of it, I went under Buddies in the menu and saw that she had the option to ask to share the screen. So I clicked it. To my surprise, it opened a FaceTime audio session along with an Apple remote desktop session so that I could request control and solve her issue. We're both running El Capitan and have Apple accounts. Yeah, and, and what's really, you're right about this, Brett, and what's important to note is you no longer need to have an AOL instant messenger account active or logged in. It works just using messages as the kind of foundation of, of making this request. So as long as you've got uh, an iMessage connection going with someone, you can request to share the screen or offer to, to share yours with them. Uh, really, really handy. And, and exactly uh, your example is a, a, you know, a perfect example of, of why that's great. Good stuff. You ready to take us to Jason, John? I am. So Jason had a boatload of tips, but I'm only going to give one of them. All right. Keep you all in suspense here. <laughs> um, and this is something that I've used in the past, but it's a, it's a good reminder and a great quick tip. Um, and he says, um, I know you mentioned using, and actually, hats off to our friend here, because he actually put the uh, clover... <laughs> Oh, icon yeah. in the message instead of command, uh, which of course on an Apple keyboard, command and the uh, uh, quad clover, I don't even know what you call it. I call it a clover. But um, So if you hold down clover, shift four to grab a selected area of the screen. Uh, I'm sorry, so, so that's what he's saying. You, you can do that. But here's an extra quick tip. If you hit space once, 
you will then see a crosshair, or the cursor will turn into a crosshair, and then you'll get a little camera icon, and then you can select a single window to capture. The window will highlight to let you know which window will be captured. Click it, and it is saved or copied to the clipboard. If you use tilde, uh, I'm control sorry, accent. No control. Oh, I'm sorry. He's a that the, the, in, in you you know this from your ASCII days. He put he did he put the tilde in there, but that but that's the shortcut for control. So yeah, if Command Shift Four will bring up the uh, the the crosshairs where you can select an area of the screen and it will save it. Uh, the space bar will toggle between the crosshair and the camera and con- adding control to any of the screenshot options, command shift three or command shift four mm-hmm. will save it to the clipboard instead of the desktop, which is super, super handy. So there you go. So he got a bit too clever for me because I saw the, the carrot shift six and I'm like, huh, that's a carrot, right? No, that's control. You got yeah, another one for us, John? It. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, you know, that's been a mini fish shake with me, Dave, is whenever Apple uses these wacky characters, which you can see when you look at a lot of menus here and you see, you know, an up arrow, a mm. clover, uh, you know, uh, shift six. I'm, I'm looking right now, the the, the kind of downward slide with a line, and it's like, guys, come on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm just, you got one more for us, John? confusing you, you know i think i do dave so let me uh let me go here and it's actually something i found when i was researching a question regarding uh booting into recovery but i found a dandy apple support article Dave. because a lot of times when you start up your mac you may see something that you don't expect what will you do what will you do well you know what you can do you can go to this support article that I found and the title of it is about the screens you see when your Mac starts up. I'd never come across this article before. So I thought I I like it. We should share that. So it shows you what happens when you're powering on a blank screen, file vault, uh, progress indicators, uh, all, all sorts of things. So, um, Apple may not necessarily tell you exactly what's happening when your machine is starting up and, and things go right or things go wrong. Um, but this article tells you all about them. That's a nice find, man. Yeah, no, because, because sometimes, you know, we'll either we see it or, or you write in and say, my, here's what my screen is doing. I don't know why it's doing this with, with this article. It's worth reading once right now. Just to go through and and visually kind of, you know, burn these things into your head so that you like, oh, wait, I've seen this before when it happens six months from now. This is good, man. Nice. Fine. I like it. I think the best is and I've seen it recently, um, but the spinning globe, which typically indicates something called a net boot or a network booting kind of thing. A lot of people have never seen this before. I actually, as of late, have because I was doing some, you know, diagnostics and I'm like, Oh look, the spinning globe. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like you see that you don't know. It's like, what's happening. Am I, am I destroying the world? I see a spinning globe on my Mac <laughs> yes, or, or what? That's it. Domination, John. <laughs> I like uh, it. World domination. Yes. <laughs> hey, I, I stumbled onto something that, uh, someone told me about and was 
new to me, but seemed like everybody knew about it. So I will share it. And that is on the iPhone 6S and therefore 6S Plus, we have 3D Touch, right? Or Force Touch. 3D Touch, Force Touch. I forget what they call it. It's, it's the same thing in too, too many different right? names. Yeah. Um, you can use Force Touch on the left edge of your screen to pull up the application switcher. John, did you know about this? I'm trying it now. I have held down my finger on the left side of my screen. And swipe right a little bit. And I swiped and uh, I'm in mail. Hmm. Isn't that it? Yeah. And, and then I do it again and I'm in the next app. And I do it again and I'm in the next app. Oh, look at that. And, and if that, you hold what, down, you will you can actually do it on pull, the right side. Okay, nothing no, happens on the right side, just the left side. No, okay. and if, so oh. if you do it quickly, you'll just go from app to app. But... If you do it slowly, uh, you can actually get the, um, you get the, you know, the full switcher up. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it saves you from constantly double tapping your home button, which is a good thing, I suppose. I mean, I, I worry because it only because it's a moving part. I worry about the home button, uh, you know, wearing out. I've never actually had one wear out. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, I, I see. Okay. So if you hold down. And then you move to the right a little, and a then little. you release, yeah. then yeah, exactly. you see all of the apps. Correct. Okay. Then, yeah, as then if you did a, as if you did a, I think a, a double, you know, a, a double, click on double tap on the home button. Yeah, that's right. Sweet. I like it. And now a, um, I guess this qualifies as a quick tip, but uh, it, it's certainly a good tip. Listener John actually wrote us a question saying, Hey, look, I installed Acrobat Reader and uh, now all my PDFs are opening up in Acrobat Reader instead of Preview. And I want to open them in Preview. And certainly if he right clicks and chooses Open in Preview, that works fine. But he wanted to change the default. So he went and got info on a PDF in the Finder, Finder, Get Info, and changed the uh, Open With app for that one to Preview and then hit Change All and Agreed. And it still wouldn't work. Sometimes it would open preview, but never would the document open inside preview. And then John remembered Onyx. And so he went into Onyx and he went into maintenance and he had it rebuild the launch services database. Boom. Solved the problem. So a good quick tip. Launch services is the core of the app associations. And if you're having trouble with it, Rebuilding launch services can save you from a world of hurt. So thank you, John, for sending that in. Good stuff. I like it, John. Now, are we ready? You want to uh, you want to take us to Michael? You want to answer some questions here? We haven't we haven't been at this for an hour yet. I feel like we can do it. Yeah, not really. No, we can. Uh, yes, of course. Okay. All right. Take us to Michael. So Michael had a great question, and. Um, I'm going to tell you what it is. Whoa, did you beat up your mic there? I did, yeah. What's going on there? I don't know. Are you, you're brutalizing your mic? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? What has it done to you? I, you know, this mic right. has actually been really good to me. So it's almost 10 years old. And jeez, uh, there I am again. Or? Yeah, it's my PR40. I don't know what I'm doing here. I, I talk with my hands, you know, but the way I set my mic up, I usually never hit it. In fact, 
those two times that I've hit it are probably the first two times in 10 years that I've hit my mic like that. So I don't know what's going on today. I'm sitting on my hands. So, so Mike or Michael, I can't tell because we had different signatures and I'm just going to get right into it. Mike writes, my clone drive is set to eject after backup, but only rarely does so. I keep getting this message. The disk, blah, 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 wasn't ejected because one or more programs may be using it. Okay. Uh, I've clicked on the try again button, but that never works. The force eject button will work, but I'm not sure that's the best thing to keep doing. How would I go about figuring out what's preventing my clone drive from ejecting? That's a great question. So number one, I thought that in recent, uh, more recent versions of OS X, and I don't think he says what version he's running, they would actually try to identify the app that was being a jerk uh, and, and preventing you from rejecting a disk because y- you don't want to eject the disk that has open files. That, that should be fairly obvious. Um, though maybe not. I don't know. Um, but here's, here, here's the deal. So there is a command that you can use, and it's built into Unix or OS X, probably both, um, called LSOF. Now, ls is uh, a command that you know does a, a listing of what's in a directory. And then adding the of, I'm going to guess, Dave, that of stands for open files. So you got this magical lsof command. Well, if you search around, and, and I did, there is a way for you to use the lsof command to tell you what files are open on a specific volume, which I think is exactly what we want to do here. So uh, you started off with our pal sudo, S-U-D-O, space L-S-O-F, space dash X-F. I don't know exactly what those are for, but there's switches, or, or there, there are, they help the L-S-O-F command do something smart. Okay. Space plus D space slash volumes slash and then the name of the drive um i have an easier you don't command. know this oh go lsof space pipe space grep some portion of the drive name that's what i always do i do lsof pipe grep clone and it finds me everything all right by pipe you mean a vertical bar yeah, which is called the pipe character. It's usually above the return key shift okay. and, and the thing above the return key. Okay. Yeah. I'm just. Yeah, no, no, no. It's a, yeah, no. It's talking about text is, is difficult. So it's always good to have clarification. Yeah. Right. So I think that would do it as well. Yes. Yeah, so, so I think that they both accomplish the same thing and that they're saying, use this command that tells you about open files and please uh, limit it to stuff on this drive that's being a jerk. Now I have seen this problem um, ex- almost exactly as Michael is experiencing. And when I've run this LSOF command, I have not found anything holding that drive open. Uh, I, I think there's something wonky about El Capitan. That's when it started for me. And I've had okay. to just do a force eject in the finder. You know, you, you, you click the eject button in the finder, it spins a little bit and then it comes up and says, uh, you want to force eject? And I say, yeah, and everything's okay. fine. All right. Um, but I've never done LSOF with sudo in those instances. So it's possible there's something else holding it open. I would say in general, it's 
you don't want to eject the drive if the OS complains about it. On Agreed. the other hand, as you were stating, yeah, if you can avoid it, because there is the potential for you to, at the very least, screw up whatever files are open. Yeah. Um, you know, doing a proper eject is always a good thing. And if the OS is complaining about it, yes, it could be a bug in, in the OS. Or it could be that, a, a, in fact, so, so another suggestion is that review all the apps that you have open, uh, whether it be text editors or media players or stuff like that. One of them may have a file open. And yeah. I don't think the OS is, at this point, it, it, smart enough to say, oh, you have a movie on this drive open in... QuickTime player, or you have a text file open in text, whatever. Uh, sometimes I've seen that. Actually, I have seen that sometimes. They're like, yeah, text edit is using this file. Could you please quit that? And then you can eject the drive properly. So that's what I got to say about that. Cool. All right. Shall we move on to uh, Craig? Oh, gosh. All right. I stacked you up twice, right. John. I know. Yes, uh, you did. And uh, let me see. Okay. Craig has a good one here. And Craig has something, while I'm vamping here, Craig has something about his iPhone battery. And it kind of concerns me. And let's go to Craig's question. So Craig says, hi, guys, I'm having a real problem with my iPhone battery. I am in the U.S. on holiday and having a great time with my family. Awesome. Welcome. <laughs> while here, I'm using an AT&T SIM card in my phone to avoid expensive global roaming. Wow, very timely. Um, and to be able to use mobile data... Uh, if Wi-Fi is not available. For the first two weeks, everything went well with no issue at all. About five days ago, I started having an issue where my battery level would drop really fast. Within minutes of taking it off of the charger, it would be under 95%. After a few hours, it would be under 20% and put itself into low power mode. If I put it onto my Anchor battery pack, it could jump from 12 to 35 within minutes, but otherwise seem to charge normally. Um... I think I can stop here, Dave. Do you think I should stop here? Um, he says, I "Go on." Well, I could go on a bit, but 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 I think I get the gist of what's happening: is that he's seeing unexpected battery level droppage. Yeah, yeah. Ta can, take can it. Coming up there. Uh, yeah, I've got okay. I've got some ideas too. Now, but, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, I have. Uh, so I have a few ideas. Now, number one, um, we have seen recent reports of the battery reporting level on iPhone 6S's. I'm not sure if we have yet done an article about this, but I have seen articles elsewhere suggesting that the battery level that you see on your iPhone uh, running the latest iOS may not be entirely correct. So I'll toss that out. But then uh, if that's not the case, I'm going to toss out a few things here. So number one, he didn't mention this, but in iOS 9. whatever. If you go to settings, battery, battery usage, you can see what app or apps are taking the most, uh, from a relative measure, um, percentage of your battery. And then there's a little clock. If you click on that, it'll give you even more info, like who's chewing background time. Um, that has been an uh, issue with some people, including my esteemed colleague Dave, and that this one little app called Facebook, even though you tell it not to use background, it insists on doing so and choose your battery. So that's my one suggestion is, is go to the battery, you know, settings, battery, battery usage. Check that out. Hit the little clock. See if anybody's chewing background. If they are, 
you may want to delete and reinstall the app or just not use the app. I've that, never run into this Facebook thing personally, but you have, Dave. Oh, so, yeah. No, uh, the I, Facebook. It sounds like you have something to say about it. Yeah, well, the Facebook thing, it, it's actually important to understand how batter, how background usage works on the iPhone. Um, it, the, the report in the uh, uh, settings app is correct, right? That Facebook in these instances is using background um, where it gets frustrating, even though you tell it not to. Well, you think you tell it not to. So yeah, if you, <laughs> but this is where it's important to understand what you're actually telling the phone and Corey Emdick, uh, the uh, esteemed friend of the show and programmer who wrote our Mac geek back, explain this to me. If you go into settings in general and go into background app refresh, you can turn off background app refresh for specific apps. And of course, Facebook is listed there and you can turn it off and then you can get frustrated when you go, you know, the next day and you see that Facebook's still chewing up all this time in the background, background app refresh. When you turn that off, tells your phone, do not launch this app in the background for any scheduled or requested tasks. Right. So yeah, you're already seeing what, what the difference is here, but if the app is already running, why then it can do, it operates under a different set of rules. There are rules about how much it can use in the background. Frankly, I think Facebook bypasses a bunch of those uh, anyway, but let's assume that even if they do follow the rules, uh, they still can do things in the background. It's not background app activity that we're limiting. It's background app launching. So the way to keep Facebook or any app from chewing up background time is to either double tap the home button, or if you're on a 6S series phone, force touch or 3D touch, 3D touch. Yes, that's right. Uh, 3D touch on the left and then get to the app switcher and swipe up on that app. Once you've done that, then Facebook or any other app that you do that to will not run in the background because you've told it it can't launch. So that's that's where that comes from. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Thank no, you. Yeah, you learned um, something new. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a couple other ideas. Can I can I share, John? Not yet. Okay, go ahead. Well, can I? Uh, yeah, finish well, up. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I'll do number two here. Though actually, I got to say, you're. It, it's funny because the the what you just said kind of goes against what a lot of people have said is that you shouldn't have to quit apps that are in the background on iOS and that, you know, really doesn't have any negative impact based on what you're telling me. You basically said the opposite. Oh, and I've proven the opposite. There's no question. Okay. Yeah. All right. But you know what I'm saying is that a lot of people say, don't worry about having apps in the background. iOS should, should, should manage them. So they're not doing anything naughty but it sounds like they, they may they may yeah it, it, you know okay. the sonos app does the same thing to me i'll see it have like you know 12 minutes of foreground usage and three hours of background usage. It's like what, what i don't even know what it's doing and i've actually been and talking dave, to sonos support about it but yeah and dave actually uh, i if i'm not using an app for an extended amount of time i will actually do what you just suggested is i will i will eliminate it i i will will swipe up and and not run it because Okay, second tip I have here. Um, with my iPhone 5, or my 5S, was it my 5 or my 5S? I think it was my 5S. Um, but there's something called a DFU restore. It's uh, what I'll call a deep restore, and at least in my case, I had issues where my iPhone 5, no, it was a 5, not a 5S, 
um, it would all of a sudden get to 20% and die. And I'm like, well, that's not right. Um, if I did a DFU restore, which is, uh, I'll argue, though some people tell me I'm nuts, it's a more thorough restore than doing just a restore restore. Um, and when I've done this, it, it fixed the problem with my phone all of a sudden dying at 20%. So I will offer that. I'll offer one more thing and then hand it back to you, Dave, is that it could be that you have a problem with your battery. How is this possible, you ask? Well, Apple every now and then has an oopsie, and they don't make batteries. At least as far as I know, they don't. They get batteries from other people, and sometimes they have problems. Um, there is an iPhone 5 battery replacement program. And last I checked, the link is still active on that. So I sent them the link. You can type in your serial number and, and see if you're covered under that. Yes, this is an iPhone 5S and not a 5. But you never know. And the thing is, finally, you may want to go to the Apple store and just say, hey, guys, like I did with mine, Dave, you know, when I got my success, my first success, as you recall, the battery was was garbage. That There was something seriously wrong. And I went to the genius and, and said, yeah, what's up? And he's like, yeah, your, your battery's messed up. We're going to give you another phone. So that's what I got to say. And I will hand it back to you, my friend. Yeah, he, he might have a battery problem with his phone. That That's certainly possible. The fact that this crept up um, in this way kind of brings some other things to, to light. Of course, one of them is based on the fact that I just got back from being in another country myself, where I noticed the service there was kind of wonky. And I was constantly jumping because, you know, I turned on data roaming. Right. Well, I was in Mexico, which is what I had to do in order to get data to Rome. Uh, normally, I leave that off, but I had it on because that's how it worked. And that's how I took advantage of the, you know, AT&T thing I mentioned. But I wasn't on AT&T. I wasn't on my normal network. I was jumping around from network to network, which I'm Are normally. Assuming your cell, your, your cell data service was. Not showing AT and T. I was showing like you know, move a phone or something else. I don't know. It kept jumping. Okay, because around. you enabled roaming. Correct. You, your phone permitted you to connect to non AT and T, a non native. I'll, I'll, I'll put it provider. Yeah, and that because burned, you enabled roaming. Correct. Okay. And that burned the heck out of my battery. Uh, part of it was because the signals were sort of weak and, but it was also because there were, you know, three competing networks and I just kept jumping between, uh, all of them. Maybe it was only two, but I, I certainly was jumping around and I was jumping from 3g to, I never saw LTE while I was there. I don't think, but you know, I was jumping from 3g to edge to GPRS at times. Right. I mean, it was all over the place. Mm. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> like I said, the service was passable. That's about it. But you know, I was at a resort on vacation. I didn't really need, you know, high, high speed internet. Uh, I just wanted to share some pictures occasionally. So, uh, so that could be part of this, right? You know, he's, he's roaming, his phone might be set in a mode where it's a little more promiscuous. I'll say about reaching out to other networks and might be doing extra work. So I don't know that there's a way around that. It just could be the issue. The other thing to look at, and this goes back to our discussion about Facebook and all of that is to look at the CPU usage on the phone. I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, you pull it off charge and it's down to 95% within, you know, whatever, uh, you know, minutes, I use an app called system activity monitor from recession apps. 
Uh, and it's it, unfortunately the iOS nine uh, does not allow it to show you what processes are running anymore, but you can see the usage of the CPU. There's a processes tab. And if, you know, if your phone is otherwise idle and you're seeing that above, you know, 10%, there's two cores in, in most iPhones. And if you're seeing that running over 10% or 15%, you know, and it might be that you see it running at a hundred percent. Well, that's why your battery's burning, right? So that would rule out it being a bad battery and rule in some other thing. Uh, if it's, if the CPU is not running hot though, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad battery because the CPU won't be active in the, uh, in the radio realm, right? So if, if there's, you know, weird radio stuff going on, that's killing you, you won't see that here, but, uh, but it's worth looking at the CPU graphs and just seeing what's happening just to get a feel for, for what's going on. It can be, it can be quite helpful. We'll put a link to the, to the, um, this, uh, system activity monitor app in the show notes. So there you go. That's all I got on this one. Uh, right. I'll toss out one quick tip that yeah. you may have been able to take advantage of Dave. And, and I found a number of articles. I don't know if we've written one, um, uh, but there's something called field test mode on the iPhone. Mm. And it shows you at the very least the raw RF data of whatever data connection you're connected to which may have given you some insight into what the heck was going on when you were in Mexico. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forget. I think you just have to type it. It's some magic. I mean, if you don't know it, you're never going to find it. Right, but, right. Um, now we got an article. But it shows in your menu bar instead of, you know, the normal stuff. It'll show you, like, an actual number. Uh, here we go. Uh, so they claim if you type 3001 pound, 12345 pound, and hit call, you will then go into diagnostic mode. Okay. Uh, we'll link to an article because I, uh, I'll have to figure out how to get you out of that. But yeah, that would be change helpful. What you see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it'll, it'll, it'll show you at the very least in the upper left-hand corner of your screen, it'll show you a, a number that indicates uh, something having to do with the RF connection that you have to a cellular provider. So uh, that could be handy. Yeah, I, I'm looking at OS 10 hints and, uh, or OS, OS 10 daily. Okay. This looks pretty good. So, uh, I'll right, we'll put that, that link in the show notes. Because, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah. Uh, I think uh, the things that can chew your battery, data connections are probably one of the biggest ones. If you can at all avoid doing a data connection and do Wi Fi instead, I, w I would say that's probably better. Right? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe? Again, it depends on there's a lot of factors. But, yeah, I, I think all else being equal, yes. Okay. All right. So we had two questions, John, uh, which will go sort of together. One's from uh, Gerald and one's from David. Uh, we'll start with Gerald's here. He says, uh, how does one determine the right computer for their needs? It's time for a new iMac. Apple offers three basic 21 and a half inch models, each having their own upgrade options. There's a 1.6 gigahertz processor dual core with a turbo boost uh, to 2.7, the 2.8 gigahertz and quad core and the 3.1 gigahertz quad core, which is retina it says I'll up the uh, onboard memory to 16 gigs and upgrade, upgrade the hard drive to an SSD. Most of the machine will be used for simple tasks. My current machine, a mid 2011 2.5 gigahertz with the standard hard drive 
gets bogged down with Rapid Weaver and some other apps. I hope to get four or more years of productive use from the new iMac. The current machine is good for a lot of tasks. I'm sure that upgrading the hard drive would make a big difference. But I'm thinking the new 2.8 gigahertz quad core will suit my needs. And, and Gerald, yeah, you're right. Um, it's a good question because in a general sense for, you know, the normal use cases that we all kind of have email and web browsing and that sort of thing, even the lowest speed option is going to serve you fairly well today. The real benefit of increased processor speed is, is longevity. And, and I get that you're thinking about that, right? You know, um, and going one step up from the lowest speed option gets you up from a dual core to a quad core that helps. That's going to make a difference and probably even make a difference for you today, but certainly make a difference going down the road. You're also right that taking, you know, plan B and just upgrading your current iMac to an SSD would make a huge difference. That's uh, honestly, you know, I'm still running some what now uh, eight year old machines around the house and they run just fine because they've got SSDs in them and, and it, and they work really, really well, but you know, the newer machines run even better. So it's not a bad thing to do this. Just be aware of where your bottlenecks are. And for most of us, it's the hard drive. Uh, and the speed of that is, is kind of the, the biggest thing to, to get past. So I would, I, you know, I, I never want to go for the lowest end just because it's not going to last as long. Uh, it, it will last. It just won't serve you as long, I guess is a better way to say that. So, uh, and, and then Gerald also had a question, you know, uh, Apple talks about how the processor is, you know, it's a 1.6 gig uh, gigahertz dual core processor that turbo boosts to 2.7, a 2.8 that turbo boosts to 3.3. And, and Gerald asked, do I need turbo boost? Well, it, it doesn't really matter. It does that. Um, it, it's part of how the CPU works. So you get that with it. Uh, and it, and you, I don't think you're going to pay any extra for it unless maybe it uses a little more electricity when, uh, when it kicks in. So that's just how the CPUs work. Any thoughts on this one, John? Absolutely. So on the one hand, I could just say with money being no object, just buy as much as you can. Get the maximum processor, the maximum memory, get an SSD. Sure. But for most people, if you don't have to spend the money, you shouldn't. So um, my thoughts are as follows. Uh, are you a user that buys a machine and uses the heck out of it, which I would classify myself as one? Yes. And then probably isn't going to think about selling it, but maybe giving it away uh, or, you know, giving it to someone that has low impact use. Um, if you're that type of user, then what I would do is look at your current usage. So he indicated his current machine and what he's doing with it. So there are two ways I could say you could identify your potential bottlenecks and what you should get in your next machine. Um, one is to run activity monitor. Now there are a few places where you could have bottlenecks. One could be your CPU. The other could be memory uh, in the case where if you don't have enough memory, you swap. Um, I think those are the major cases here. Um, so CPU, if, if you're doing CPU intensive tasks, he indicated that he's not. But um, 
if you want to find out if you are, then yeah, either run Activity Monitor or one of my favorites, Dave, iStat Menus, which mm. can show you very quickly. And actually, I will say, Dave, in the case of the current machine that I'm running on right now, so I have the uh, uh, 2010 uh, Mac Mini, uh, which is the Core 2 Duo, which I would say, in, in the grand scheme of things, is kind of a wimpy processor, because I will frequently see this machine hitting close to 100%. Not quite, but I, I would like more breathing room on my processor. So, um, so again, run Activity Monitor or ISTAT menus and see where your system is is reaching its limits. Whether it's CPU, it could be disk throughput. So, you know, look at the throughput on your disk. You know, do you notice or do you have a problem with the time it takes for you to read or write things to the disk? And look at those areas for your next machine. Um, as you stated, Dave, I mean, an SSD is is almost never a bad decision. Um, the processor, not so much. I, I would say, to, to bat it around a bit, um, so if you're a type of person that's going to use the machine, maybe give it away, then maybe not a big deal, but if if you're a type of person that buys a machine that maybe sells it someday, then consider resale value. Um, if I'm looking at these three machines, I would pay more for a 3.1 gigahertz processor than a 1.6. Uh, I would pay more, and it's worth more, so that's the other thing to consider. Um, yeah, but not that much. I, I mean, it, when well, when but resale, I'm looking at three point. Well, I'm looking at three point one gigahertz quad core versus one point six gigahertz dual core. Oh, I go for the uh, actually. I, you know, actually, a lot of times when I bought a machine, I kind of go for the middle of the road here. So, so the one that he identified, the two point eight quad core, I would say that's you're going to save a few bucks here. Yep. If you don't need the retina display, which I, I currently do not have a retina display. And I, yeah, the only reason you wouldn't need a retina display is if you have not had one that, that, and, yeah, and, and I've had them on my iOS devices, but I have not yet had them on my Mac. Yeah, so man, it's, I'm it's, with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's I know, huge. I no, it's, I mean, it's like anything, you know, once you experience it, it's like, Whoa, there's no way I can go back. Um, and, you know, especially having, I mean, I'm, I definitely notice it. I'm on the 27 inch iMac, the 2011 non retina up here in the studio. And I've got the retina one at my desk. And I mean, it, it, every time I sit down here in the studio, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. You know, <laughs> but like, it's okay. Consider what will happen with the machine once you're done with it. Yep. Yep. Uh, would be my advice. Again, if, if you're thinking of selling it after you're done with it, then buy as much as you can afford. Um, but at the very least, like I said, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't guess there's usage. a difference between in, for, no, when it no. comes to resale, the difference between the 2.8 and the 3.1 down the road, not a, I don't know. Oh, I don't but think one six. Definitely. Eh, that sounds kind of wimpy. Definitely. You know, I've actually seen this. So I've, I've actually signed up for, uh, refurb store alerts. Um, and I see constantly a 1.4 gigahertz Mac mini even though it's a 2012 or a 2014 machine. Yeah. And I'm like, eh, it just sounds kind of too wimpy for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. Right now I have, even though what I have now is a core two duo, it's two point something gigahertz. So I'm, uh, I'm not about ready to step backwards. Right. Though performance wise, it actually could be a step forward. 
Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, because you're, oh, it's a massive difference. I, I went, I mean, my... Um, From a Core 2 to an i5 or an i7 is is a huge leap. So that that's yeah. I went I went from a two point whatever gigahertz core two on my you know whatever MacBook Pro that I had before to the I to an i seven I think a one six or something uh, on my now almost four year old MacBook Air and it's I mean there's there was absolutely no comparison it it was much much faster so yeah yeah, yeah you you'd definitely be moving up I guess the final thing to consider is that. With the newer Macs beyond 2012 or so, what you get is pretty much what you get. Or it's going to be a lot harder for you to upgrade the RAM or the hard drive. Mm. Not impossible, but a lot more difficult. So, true that. Wisely. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. So, David kind of has a follow up question to that, which is uh, I have a current MacBook Pro 2012. And the current 13-inch MacBook Pro was last updated in March 2015. My company is willing to replace my old one. Should I go ahead now or should I wait for an update? Does your crystal ball think March 2016 or will the Skylake chips push it to WWDC timeframe? Um, these are always guesses, of course, but we can feed from the rumor. You know, we can, we can uh, drink from the rumor mill a little bit here. And honestly, the best place to go is buyers die buyers guide.macrumors.com they have an they keep tabs on everything that's happened and go with the history and really guide you so right now they're saying for mac macbook pros you know uh don't buy the retina ones because uh they're saying you know it's been 245 days since the last release probably coming in 2015. Now, when you're probably right that the Skylake things, the Skylake CPUs will push this to, you know, maybe not March, but I, I would think April to be honest, but, uh, but you know, I don't know. So, but check out, check that out. It, the, the thing I will say though, and this goes completely counter to what I just, uh, what I just told you is the best day to buy a computer is the day you need one. And then it's best not to look at the prices for six months, unless you have like purchase protection on your, you know, on your credit card or whatever, then look for whatever it is, 30 days, 90 days, however long you've got, and then just stop and enjoy your machine. Um, that that's really the, you know, the best advice I have for this, but check the buyer's guide. You know, I mean, if you can, if you, if you can wait a month or so it's worth looking, I mean, you don't want to, you know, it used to be you would never buy a new computer the week before Macworld Expo because, you know, you knew Apple was going to be compelled to announce something. Now, Apple's not so compelled anymore, right? They kind of operate on their own schedule for the most part. And uh, so, you know, they, they surprise us when these things come out. It could be, well, today's Tuesday. They typically only do these things Tuesdays. So it could be a week from today. And then suddenly it's like, hey, guess what? Here we are. Done. And it's like, OK, good to go. So, I, but you just got to buy when you're ready to buy. And, and that's that. I don't know. That's, that's my feeling uh, on this, John. No, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. Um, back in our younger days, I think we agonized over this maybe more than we should have. Yeah. And then, oh my gosh. 
you know, Apple's going to release a new machine and it's going to have all these fantastic new features. And oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Settle down, Beavis. That's right. Or lighten up, Francis. Either one. The thing is, when you're at the point where you believe you need a new machine, whether you're, you know, exceeding the processor or the RAM or the hard drive, whatever, well, number one, if you can, think about upgrading yourself which is, you know, sure. as I mentioned, less and less possible with the yeah, most yeah. recent Macs, not so much with, you know, the 2012 genre that, that, that I have and, the, and, you know, but I've maxed mine out. I got a one terabyte SSD and 16 gigs of RAM. I can't do anymore. Yeah, you can <laughs> well, buy, maybe, you get a bigger but, SSD, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But, right. <laughs> Dude, one terabyte is, it's is a lot. plenty for me. Yeah. I haven't even used up half of it. it but uh, you're right the, about the, the upgrade thing. And I know we talked about the whole USB-C thing in the last show, but uh, Michael King in the chat room, I'll say hi to everybody at MacGeekab.com slash stream. Uh, he's saying he bets the new MacBook Pro will only be one port and, and, and that would be a USB-C port. That would not surprise me. It would also not surprise me to see USB-C and Thunderbolt uh, on a machine. I... I, I, it, and that may be wishful thinking on my part. I don't re, I mean, I like Thunderbolt. Uh, I see a lot of utility in it and I'm not convinced that USB-C will get us all the way there, but it it's possible that Thunderbolt will be reserved just for like iMacs and you know, desktop machines. Well, I mean, the thing that occurs to me too, is that, um, Thunderbolt, uh, so there was a dark time in the MacBook Pro where, where I didn't want to upgrade from my 2008, Dave, because right. the expansion options sucked, to, to be quite honest. Yeah. They got rid of ExpressCard. They only had USB 2. Um, they put a stupid SD slot, which was almost useless, right. uh, in, in, in lieu of a high-speed expansion. And I was like, I'm not going to buy another MacBook Pro until they fix this problem. Now they fix the problem. Even the current one I have now is you know Thunderbolt yeah, one, I guess, which is 10 megabits, right? But that's fine for me. And USB 3. So you're at the point now where you don't even, um, and I see a mention in the chat room, no Firewire. Yes, I, I, I agree. But Firewire, it's, it's time has passed. I well, and if you need Firewire. or USB 3 is the way to go if you want to expand your storage. Th- Thunderbolt or USB-C, you mean? Well, 3 or C. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and Thunderbolt one is ten gigabits per second, not megabits. But just I knew that's what you meant. Oh, right. I just wanted to offer the correction. But yeah, gig, right? Gig, yeah, Sorry. yeah, gig, gig yeah, yeah. Mag- but you can yeah, get whatever. Firewire you know. with Thunderbolt, right? I mean, that's the thing is, and and that's the beauty of of that particular bus. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It's where we're at, and it's and where that we're time. at is looking at the band. Shivering outside. Yeah, it's cold out there, man. Dave. We're supposed to. Maybe, maybe we're going to get some big snow this weekend. I would. Uh, I, now that I'm done uh, with my I've, travel, I've seen the forecast. Yeah, I've seen the forecast. It's going to be bad. I'm. I'm going to buy a bag of. Uh, my favorite is is. Uh, I think it's a calcium chloride. Is the. Uh, that's the snow melt you want. It's bad for pets though. Potassium's better. I think. Right. Uh, I mean, it's all I, of it's bad for them. But yeah. I, Yes, yes. Uh, if you have a pet, yes, pause. Do not like some of these snow melting chemicals. Right. So actually, I would recommend, and actually I've seen some people walking their pets past my house, and they will avoid because they see that I put down the stuff. But I'm like, 
get your no seriously get your pet some little booties yeah i've seen people do that we just keep our pets away from where we put the salt out when it gets better so yeah but there's all sorts of there's calcium magnesium sodium i think calcium or magnesium is is the better from the melting ability because we're going to get it we're going to tell you all about it because Ah. Feedback at MacGeekab.com, folks, is the address to which you can send all of your questions, quick tips, cool stuff found, whatever it is you want to send, that's where we've got it. And I agree with you, Dave. And, and it could be, what is your favorite snow-melting chemical? And if you want to tell us about that, you can tell us at feedback at MacGeekab.com. That's feedback at MacGeekab.com unless you are a premium listener and then premium at com is the address you can send your stuff into. Anybody can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which John is? 4335. I want to thank so many of you for your iTunes comments. We're running out of time today, so I'm going to read those uh, in the next show. Be sure to uh, visit our Facebook group at com slash Facebook. That'll redirect you there. I want to thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com for providing all of the bandwidth that gets the show from us to you all over the globe. Of course, our podcast marketplace includes Gazelle at Gazelle dot com. Imazing at Imazing dot com or coupon code MGG saves you 20 percent. Smile at SmileSoftware.com slash geek where they always tell you about the latest deals for you. Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG with uh, coupon code MGG saving you 10%. Other world computing, as we mentioned earlier in the show at maxsales.com. Great folks with great stuff at great prices. Barebones software at barebones.com, home of BB Edit. And of course, Casper at casper.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks free shipping on a great mattress. You got to check it all out. John, I uh, I learned something while I was in Mexico. You know, really? Were you hanging with uh, with Sean or El Chapo there? No, those guys didn't learn the lesson that I learned. The lesson I learned oh. is no te dejas atrapar. <laughs> Made up. <laughs>